0: Hello, friends. Uh, My name is Reed Lackey, and I'm here with... Nathan Rouse. Yes, and uh, what you are about to hear is actually the very, very first episode of our show. The Fear of God has been going now, as of the time we're recording this little bumper, it's been going now for about seven and a half years, which I still find impossible to believe. Maybe... By the time you, dear listener, have heard it, it will have been going on for 10, 15, however many years. But we wanted to preserve this inaugural episode for some posterity, <laughs> but – That's about it. <laughs> listen, Nathan, everybody's got a big butt. Uh, you want to talk about your <laughs> big butt? <laughs> so uh, – so, um, but uh, the, the, the the big butt is – I mean the show has evolved a lot over time. We have changed all uh, a lot over time. And so if you want to hear the proper and most fitting of what the show is now, then we would encourage you to seek out an episode entitled new number one in the feed that landed and published kind of just at the end of January, like January 30th of 2024. Nathan and I would highly encourage you to go and listen to that episode. If you are checking us out for the first time and you're like, what is this show all
1: about? That's where you get the real.
0: Yes, that is that is where you should go many, many people are purists and want to kind of start at the beginning and go, and that you, you're, you're perfectly welcome to do that, but we felt it was fitting to take a couple of minutes before you listen to the episode that is about to follow, and it is there in its entirety. We didn't change anything, but before you listen to that episode, we wanted to kind of really highlight that where the show is now is far more reflected in new number one published on January 30th, 2024, um, and, uh, you know, there's a an absolute avalanche of episodes that you can catch up with us about. <laughs> I mean, utter an absolute avalanche. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it is. It There's is. plenty of places to go. Yeah,
1: but if you're wanting the the new, the the correct,
0: the current, <laughs> it's, it's
1: January 2024. That's what you go to. This one, it's more you know
0: time capsule. Yes, like, it is. Huh. Yeah, and time, they really had no idea what they were doing, did they? <laughs> and time capsules have their place. You know, like it's it it it's important. Yeah, underground. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, join us in the bunker. Um, so, so without further ado, I'm gonna listeners. We're gonna let you get to the episode. My name is Reed Lackey. Yes, it is. I, well, I was prompting you to go ahead and tell them again who I you know, are. I <laughs> know, I know, and I'm Nathan Rouse, and uh, we are uh, the the co hosts of the weekly podcast, The Fear of God. We are a show that examines what scares us in order to find what saves us. We explore. We don't explain but we do have a lot of fruitful conversations. We have a whole lot of fun. We have a lot of great community members who come along the way and um, we would love to have you with us. So if you're checking us out for the first time, then by all means, you are very welcome and you will hear us say on uh, every episode, the language changes a little bit over time, but basically the sentiment remains the same, which is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. So in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Uh, Nathan, anything to add? No. No? Get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. <laughs> Get to the new number one. Get to new number one. Yes. Enjoy. Bye, everybody.
1: The only thing we have to fear
0: is Fear itself.
1: Fear is not really like scary movies.
0: I'm not afraid
1: stands for, what, false evidence appearing real? No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear, except God. Whatever that means to you. Do I look on someone who cares what God thinks? I
0: will fear all we want Why do I say this? Because we got Holy Ghost You're listening to Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hello and welcome to The Fear of God, episode one. I want to thank you for listening. My name is Reed Lackey. And this is Nathan Rouse. And this is, again, the first episode of our show. Uh, some of you, uh, if you've come to us as a function of More Than One Lesson, you may know my voice as one of the co-hosts there. And that is actually kind of our parental, if we can call it that, podcast. Um, we are under the, the More Than One Lesson banner, and uh, that's where you can reach us to, to comment on this post or uh, to find out more about us on morethanonelesson.com. Um, it was interesting because I've been a co-host for, for more than one lesson now for, for probably about a year, um, and I've been a guest on it a few times before that. But it wasn't that long ago that I kind of had this idea for another show, and uh, that basically was an idea of exploring two things that don't always seem to, to have much relationship with each other. Uh, But two things that I'm very passionate about and love a great deal, and that is um, the horror genre. Uh, Scary movies, scary stories, scary books, as well as Christianity. I don't know, man.
1: I think those feel like natural bedfellows, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Two great tastes that taste great together, if you will. Exactly.
0: Well, and I'm sure we're probably going to be talking about that, too, because a friend of mine said uh, when I told him about the idea of this podcast— I said, what do you think? And he said, I think you're setting yourself up to get punched in the face by the Internet, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea was sort of born from, um, I mean, I've loved, for as long as I can remember, I have loved scary stories. Um, I mean, I can remember watching Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho when I was six years old. I know, I know. So really, um, so really, I'm, could we describe this podcast as as broadcast therapy for you,
1: Reed? And I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here to listen uh, with all the other, pe- <laughs> with <laughs> all the other people.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, well, that's a, that's actually a good point. So, uh, so why are you here, Nathan? I mean, obviously, this is <laughs> something that I'm. Do you mean that from an existential standpoint, or just from a real practical? Right now, uh,
1: take it however you want it. <laughs> I, know, I know what you're asking. Uh, although maybe the why are you here existentially, we'll get to that at some point in the podcast series. Um, well, yeah, you know, as you know, Reed, uh, you and I have been friends for quite some time, um, close to two decades now at this point, and uh, have always observed your uh, deep affection for the horror genre as your friend and, and sort of, I enjoy it. I have an affection for it. Yours definitely uh, is a deeper well than mine. But as you talked about this project, you know, a couple things sort of presented themselves. One was just what a fascinating intersection, uh, this idea of faith and the horror genre and the ways in which those two things intersect. And, you know, another reason I'm here, I think, is to, to take those internet punches with you. You know, um, so <clears throat> bear that brunt a little bit, but also I think there's something interesting about the the dialogue versus kind of the monologue idea. You know, as you and I were talking about this uh, several weeks ago, even um, I made the reference to like uh, Conan O'Brien or you can you know take your pick or uh, David Letterman or something, but in the Conan uh example i I used the phrase the scared Andy you know uh, that that <laughs> if, if, if if you're conan I'm happy to be Andy and in our paradigm that we're working from here, kind of the scared andy you know I'm the one who you as expert on the horror genre and um speaking from that position i as observer who doesn't go see or watch absolutely everything that fits into that genre but have always been pretty open to it um you know, and, and just being able to participate and be able to sort of be that sort of everyman uh, as we sort of endeavor to tackle this subject together. So that was that's that's sort of what I saw my role as, um, you know, as we sort of interact over this subject matter.
0: Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, and I, I can also speak to the to the scared Andy thing that I that I have been in the movie theater with you. I think specifically, uh, a couple <laughs> of movies come to mind. We saw The Ring together. I am not a fan of The Ring, but that's a whole other. Movie. No, you didn't that's like a
1: whole it. Whole other podcast. No, and not because it's horror. I wouldn't be here. if It was just because it was a horror
0: movie. But regardless, sure. Was there another one you were going to say? There were two more, actually. I remember specifically we watched uh, the others together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the others is a film kind of kind of the reverse of the Ring. I I kind of liked the Ring. You didn't care for it. You really liked the others. I didn't care for it. Okay, and that's what and that's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the one that we both enjoyed a great deal, and I can remember you almost crawled under your chair probably four or five times <laughs> through the course of the movie was the Exorcism of Emily Rose. I do love um, I do love all Emily Rose. Now did you now do you, would you say cuz uh, not being, you know, as affectionate toward the genre as I am and w- when I say that I'm affectionate towards the genre according to my Netflix and Letterboxd list, I have seen somewhere in the neighborhood of 950 scary movies in my in my lifetime and uh, that you know that may not seem like that many to the avid movie fan, but well over 300 of them I have loved. <laughs> so that is uh, quite a, a sizable pool to To sort of dip from, but would you say that there's any, like, do you have any favorites among the genre? There's anything that stands out? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I'm sure we'll get to some of the sort of theory behind some of this too, but yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, entries into the genre that I'm, I'm rather affectionate towards. I think for me personally, as I've engaged the genre over the years, I I would tend more to appreciate kind of the um, supernatural slash thriller, you know, sub genre, if we will, some of the more ghastly, you know, slasher type stuff. I mean, again, depending on what it is, I'm not as huge a fan of. But hey, I'm here and I'm going to buckle up for this bumpy ride of a roller coaster of engaging <laughs> these horror movies right alongside you and or our uh, listening listening audience out there.
0: Yeah, I had uh, I didn't have the pleasure of seeing your face when when I heard you glance over the list of the films that I w- kind of wanted to talk about, and there was a long list, but the films I wanted to talk about, and I heard you on the other end going, this is going to be some really scary stuff, <laughs> and I didn't get the chance <laughs> to see your face, but I could certainly imagine it. Yeah, and if I were to pick favorite scary movies myself, uh, because I do tend to like pretty much all subgenres. There's there's very little in the horror genre that I'm not interested in and that I'm not in some way drawn to, but My favorites always come down to to three main ones that sort of duke it out. I, of course, uh, love John Carpenter's original Halloween. I'm sure we'll be talking about that very early. Um, And then uh, I also enjoy Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which, as I said, I saw when I was very, very young and have loved it ever since. But the favorite, the the king of all, it's my favorite, not only my favorite scary movie, but my favorite movie ever. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well, yes, actually. Oh. Have you seen Large Marge? She is <laughs> that is that terrifying. Is,
1: that, is, that is, she is quite scary. But it was the worst, it was the worst accident she'd ever seen, so,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. And, oh man, that we're gonna sense. we're gonna just leave that there because that's that's too frightening even for me. <laughs> but um, no, my favorite movie of all time is The Exorcist yep. um, from uh, from 1974. It's a great great film. It's a masterpiece and continually winds up at the at the top of most cumulative scary movie best all time scariest of all time lists, and I think for good reason.
1: Uh, I have now I'll, I'll throw in there too. I mean, I, I I have seen The Exorcist. I watched that actually in college where. You and I went together at old GWU, um, and you know it's it, that was a long time ago at this point. But um, I remember it, it not being overpoweringly scary to me. I, I, I think I'd need right. to revisit it to really, um, you know, as you grow and mature and get older, and you you know your eye for uh, film or story appreciation kind of gets more fine tuned. I feel like at that point in time it was just kind of to check it off the list, you know, like oh well. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Know, you gotta you gotta watch The Exorcist because that's sort of what you do. So I did, um, but I don't I don't remember having much of a discernment
0: about uh, my ability to appreciate it. I gotcha. Well, it's definitely I am always uh, on board for anybody saying that they want to revisit The Exorcist. Really, at well, at any time. I, Now, hear me.
1: I don't know that I use the phrase I want to revisit The Exorcist. I am <laughs> I am open to, and uh, for the sake of my scared Andy role, willing to. Uh, put myself through some of this, uh, in order to engage it on the level at which we're trying to do so. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, uh, to back put a little bit to the question you asked, um, you know, I, I don't know, see, I'm, I'm going to throw, I'm kind of going to kind of shotgun some of these, you know, I don't know that any AFI sort of critic would put the thing, the the films I'm going to say at the top of any list, but stuff I like, um, really like you know kind of the early del toro stuff you know thinking specifically of pan's labyrinth and though he didn't direct it um loved the orphanage oh yeah and see you know sort of echoing what i was saying earlier in terms of these sort of supernatural bent um i did like the others a lot um this seems like a cop-out but a super recent one that you know it'll be probably some time before we get to in terms of talking but just was very affecting Was the Witch. You know, oh, gave a yeah. lot of food for thought, very powerfully made movie, though definitely earns its credentials. Um, but, you know, I,
0: I, I just generally have an affection for some of those more artsy-fartsy ones, if you will. Sure, I understand that. Well, and some of the ones you mentioned, I mean, I don't know how many horror films would wind up on uh, an AFI list to begin with, but the, some of the ones you mentioned are, are definitely among... Uh, some highly critically praised. Guillermo del Toro is definitely uh, very well favored in the horror world, um, even though he's made a couple of, of missteps here and there. But uh, he's definitely very valued in in that genre. This
1: is this is a ra- this is a random question, but it might be fun for us to entertain for a moment. As I'm thinking through uh, horror movies that really stuck out to me, um, I remember in college watching Halloween for the first time and uh, oh yeah, being really impressed with it. You know. I don't know if you have this experience much where kind of a classic movie that you haven't seen that everyone considers a classic or best ofs or whatever that, you know, you're going to watch because, well, you got to watch it um, as maybe as a reference, the extras just a minute ago might have fit that category. But for me, Halloween was one of those that I hadn't seen it, um, you know, was sort of like, OK, well, let's give this a go and, and was just really taken with it kind of does exactly what history has been. Told to us that it does Uh, produce the right response. uh, Was very engaging. Um, You know, wasn't just a uh, on the on the bucket list because it's on the bucket list. It really, you know, it really was affecting. Uh, Where I was going with that is a fun game to play at some point. Maybe you know, comparing horror icons like are you a Michael Myers or a Freddy Krueger sort of fan? Ooh, Um, you know that's a bit of that's a bit of a rabbit trail that maybe we'll come back to at some point though.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jot this down because that sounds like a very fun game to play. Um, I I think that and and it's funny too because I would take the time to play it now. But there's something there's something else that I really was kind of uh, itching to sort of talk about, and that's the the other half, if you will, or the the uh, the yin to the yang of the horror films in this podcast and the horror literature, the horror genre as a whole. And that's also that um, you and I are both. Um, Christians. Now, I say that um, I would definitely call myself a Christian, and I'm not. I'm, I'm not intending to. <laughs> wow, are you trying to take? Are you trying to take something very meaningful away from me right now? <laughs> well, here's what's funny, because here's why I say that. I know that sometimes, and I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes um, the moment that I say, "Okay, I'm a Christian," then there's people in the room who, unless they would also consider themselves Christians, or even if they do consider themselves that, that would automatically assume they know how I feel about every major political, social, and creative issue there is sure, in sure, the world. Sure. Um, so it's funny, like I know some people who are you know very devout believers in Jesus Christ, but they would still, they shy away, oddly enough, from the term Christian um, for, for specific reasons. And it was funny because, yeah, I mean, you and I both uh, are, are very devout in our faith. But uh, I know for myself, I grew up in church. My grandfather was a pastor. My father was a pastor. My mom worked as the administrative bishop for the denomination where my family and I attended. So all of my life, I grew up in Southern fundamentalist Pentecostal church culture. Which is sort of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a very good point because, because, I mean, I didn't have any sort of knowledge of this as I was growing up, but I would definitely venture to say, as maybe some of our listeners would, that that some of the biggest sort of perpetuators of fear and dread and anxiety in culture today would be fundamentalist evangelical Christians. Sure. Uh, now, do you agree with that statement? Is that a is that a trick question? I'm just kidding.
1: Um, well, and and sort of to fill in the gap a little bit, um, you know, for myself as well. I, I don't I uh, I don't share your same church upbringing experience, but. You know, did get involved uh, heavily involved in church as a as a teenager, and and um, you know have had a, a roller coaster relationship with uh, the church ever since then. You know, definitely, you're catching me at an interesting time in life where the word Christian is fraught with a lot more meaning than I wish it were. Uh, i definitely would consider myself deep deep uh, have a deep love of Jesus and believe him to be the. Uh, hope of and and actively working to redeem all of creation and and all of that sort of stuff and and believe very firmly in that, Um, you know, sort of like you said a minute ago, not sure that I would line up lockstep and in fact know that I would not line up lockstep with a lot of what would be considered uh, mainstream American Christianity of today. But, you know, in terms of the question of, you know, the church's relationship or as you sort of pinpointed vomitors of fear if you will Um, i like that phrase um yeah yeah i i I think there's some definite truth to that i mean i'm about to this just popped into my head this was not intentional this was not written down at all but what immediately came to my mind just now was carrie the uh the book and or movie depending on what you've read or seen And, and and hear me you know um an an avid Christian might hear that and think, well, that's Stephen King. And I'd say, well, yeah, but you know, it's a a novelist, a, a storyteller is using a story to reflect a certain type of truth. I think, you know, he was interested in examining exactly what you're describing, which is what is a potential, uh, outcome of extreme religious fundamentalism, uh, in this particular case of, of a Christian variety. Yeah. Um, you know, so so yes, I do think there is some truth to the notion that a, a, a religious entrenchment can definitely foster <laughs> uh,
0: foster a fearful life. Um, sure. Well, and I'll say too, like two things that makes me think of. Well, uh, three. I'll 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 piggyback on what you said about Carrie and and acknowledge that yeah, you and I are both very avid Stephen King fans, and um, I've read. Every major published work, except for the most recent uh, one or two, but um, but uh, he frequently has characters of faith at varying degrees of likability and varying degrees of actually being able to live out something that we would consider to be admirable. But he's he's often got this this notion of faith in general playing around in some of his stories, in sometimes ugly, and in sometimes quite beautiful ways. Um, some of you, some of our listeners who may not know his works, clearly there are works like Carrie, like we just mentioned, and one of his more recent ones, Revival, that, uh, very, that very much have critiques and negative reflections of faith. But then there are also in his canon books like Desperation and The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which have very hopeful and uh, very meaningful expressions of faith in them. So his work definitely contains a lot of that.
1: Well, that, 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 that leads me... I mean, Reed, I, I feel like, um, you know, uh, uh, to sort of add to the stew here... I know personally I have a couple kind of anecdotes, but I'm interested and think, you know, as we are talking about this genre, you know, you did mention um, the the roots in which your life found itself and how you, but the, the chronology that, that led you um, or that exposed you to, um, you know, the horror genre or scary material or whatever. But, you know, are there any particular um i think you were referencing what what did you say you saw at six years old or seven whatever psycho <laughs> way too early age it was well psycho's not psycho's not too bad
0: uh, well i also saw west craven's a nightmare on elm street when i was eight so i mean yeah essence, psycho was just the earliest example that's that's probably probably wasn't healthy but you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, well for,
1: for 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 my purposes if i can throw these fun little anecdotes in here um you know, as I've sort of reflected uh, in preparing for, you know, talking about this uh, with you and, and, and meditating on this whole concept, you know, some some fun examples of my exposure to the horror genre. Uh, <laughs> we've already referenced Uncle Stevie, uh, a.k.a. Stephen King, already, and, and we'll probably oft reference him uh, in probably every podcast. But I, so sixth grade, how old are you when you're in sixth grade? 10 10?
0: Uh, you're typically about yeah typically about nine or ten maybe might even be 11. I uh,
1: picked up I don't remember how or why or what prompted it but picked up pet cemetery <laughs> at 10 and wow and I read it I did read it mm-hmm. um, but it, it scared the you know what out of me uh, <laughs> enough enough honestly to kind of turn me off. Uh, as much as my 10 year old mind could actively do this turn me off from Stephen King for 10 years, 12 years. Oh, wow. That is a long time. You know, well, hear me. The, I'll throw in the mix here that 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 gap was infiltrated by <laughs> Stephen King light. Uh, old cousin Dean Koontz. You know, oh, who, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how old Dean is received in the in the marketplace, but pretty favorably. Yeah, I enjoyed his material during that time. And another little fun story is I remember distinctly. So I, I was the night owl in my home growing up, and normally could be found uh late in the night reading a book of some sort, you know, some sort of novel or whatever. And specifically, remember reading the book Winter Moon by him, which I don't. Oh, I don't, yeah. Have you? Are you? I mean, have you read Kuntz stuff?
0: Uh, I've read plenty of Kuntz books. I have not read Winter Moon. Uh, my favorites among his are, of course, Watchers, and I really liked Intensity a lot. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm
1: gonna call you out there. It's actually Watcher, I believe. We're gonna have to fact check that. It's not plural, but regardless, um, uh, someone
0: you can fact check. We're gonna, that. we're
1: gonna Google that one after we're done here. Um, <laughs> however, so reading the book Winter Moon and. You know, let's say it's midnight. This is, I don't know, freshman, sophomore year of high school. And I'm sitting on my bed. The lights are on. The rest of the house is asleep. And I'm at this really freaky part in it. And I could go into detail because I actually remember what the part is. I won't. It doesn't matter. What does matter is I needed to, like, brush my teeth to get ready for bed. Uh, Either that or take contacts out or something. I needed the bathroom before going to sleep. And I was in bed reading it. And it reached the point of the night where I needed to be done. You know, i got to go to sleep, got to school in the morning. So I put the book aside, but I didn't want to get out of the bed because as, as they do, something might grab me from under the bed. <laughs> I actively remember having this moment where it's like, I, I, I know rationally that there's nothing under my bed, but this book has scared the junk out of me and I don't want to get out of bed because something may grab me. So, you know, I, I the, it would be a fun ending if I just sort of fell asleep and never brushed my teeth or something. But I think I actually ultimately overcame that fear. But I also have another fun story where I must have just watched a a scary movie and was the same house, two-story house, last one to bed. As always, there's a bit of routine here. And the stairs to the second floor had a doorway to another room right next to them. And I remember distinctly, like, and again, rationale does not work when you're kind of in adrenalized mode from seeing or watching something and i remember distinctly looking around the corner to make sure nothing was there and then running up the stairs (laughs) 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 so yeah those are my uh that's my therapy time uh, can you and you as you recall i mean you're the well is deep you know you recounted what 900 movies 300 something. I don't know. You threw out some very specific numbers earlier, but Oh yeah. yeah. Do you have any uh, stories like that of, or are you just that thick skinned when it comes to this material that it doesn't freak you out?
0: No, no, no. Scaring me in a movie is kind of like striking out the picture. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really easy to, I'm really easy to scare. (laughs) Hey, you didn't say there were going to be sports references. I'm not ready. for that. (laughs) (laughs) That, That's your real fear. Um, the uh i will say that like as a child i was probably either either 4 or 5 years old um and i only i do not remember this story but my mom da would tell this story so frequently that i i know the story by heart um and you said 4 or 5 i was 4 or 5 years okay. old and okay. i would i would come out of the bedroom uh one day and i said um there's a there's a monster in my closet and so my mom and dad would say, like, well, no, like, there's no monster in your closet. You need to go back into your room and play. And I would come out a, a couple minutes later and I said, no, 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 I'm telling you there's a monster in my closet. And then, you know, my mom and dad said, okay, listen, there's, there's no monster in your closet. There can't be a monster in your closet because Jesus lives here. And Jesus won't let there be any monster in your closet and then I started to walk away, started to go back into my room. And then as I walk in, as the story goes, I turned around and said, well, if that's true, then Jesus just said, grrr. <laughs> I know, it's kind of a kind of a cheesy story, but it's, awesome. it's totally true. You could call my parents right now, and they'd tell you, they would recount the same exact uh, same exact story. They would validate that Jesus growled at you. Yeah, they absolutely would. <laughs>
1: and we wonder why you watched, you know, Psycho at 7. <laughs> Jesus no, it's true.
0: six actually oh, six <laughs> let's get it right get it get it right. Well I want to kind of bring us back around to the talking about the the, the other components sort of the Christianity of things the uh, the other thing that it made me think of back when we were talking about um, Stephen King the other thing it made me think of is uh, two things came to mind first of all there, there's a a couple of phrases that we use in uh, I know that we used it in southern charismatic cultures. I don't know if that transmitted to other cultures and more liturgical branches of faith, but I know they would talk about fire and brimstone preaching, where people would basically be saying over and over again things about uh, that, that would make people think they were going to go to hell. That, that kind of language, those kinds of sentiments. Um, and the other thing that the people would say is, and this is actually where part of where the name of the show came from, uh, people would say we're going to put the fear of god into somebody which basically meant that we're going to scare them out of their current behavior into more acceptable more aligned behavior and i know there was this there was a sermon that be- was by jonathan edwards and it was called and we actually study this in in literature classes in grade school it's called sinners in the hands of an angry god and the story goes that such a lovely piece of work well the story goes that while he was preaching that <laughs> In in churches, evidently with a rather monotone voice, uh, people would be screaming. People would be uh, crying out because of what he was articulating. And it, it, it's been too long since I've read it for me to know the specific tones of content, but that's something that's always stood out to me as something that is reflective of areas where the Christian, the Christian faith seems to intersect with the horror genre, but that's not specifically what we're going to be talking about on this show. One of the things that I wanted to, to sort of ask and explore for just a moment is um, why do you think that in, in present times, Christianity and the horror genre are so at odds? Why do you think they don't tend to get along? I mean, I have my own theories, but do you, do you think you know why uh, Christians feel, like if you were to Google right now, Christian and horror films your top ten entries would probably be asking the same question. It'd be articles titled "Should Christians Watch Horror Films?" And a good sixty percent of those articles are going to conclude no, they shouldn't. Right. Um, so why do you? So why do you think there's such a tenuous relationship there?
1: This this is this is an indirect way of answering that, but I'm going to start attempting to and, and lead to where my thought was, and that's I think for, I was going to say for better or worse, but I uh, I would I would definitely err on. Or worse, historically, uh, whether you're talking about horror as a movie genre, which is a relatively modern convention, or the, a, a darker side of what we would call entertainment or whatever. <clears throat> However you phrase that, I mean, I think that as we've glanced off of once or twice already, I think there's a lot of fear in the church. Mm. You know, you've got, you've, on the one hand, you have this, what we could call, institutionalized version of things which would say the life of a person involved in the church has to look a very specific way based on the leader of whether it's that specific church or a denomination or a larger whatever, larger organization, you know, based on their interpretation of things. Thus, if you're out of line, you're out of the will of God, you know, you know, what have you. I I just think that there is a lot of fear embedded top down, you know, in in the church and so and part of that is well you things that have the appearance you know the appearance of evil is also another uh, favorite phrase of the churches sometimes like you know don't drink don't smoke what do you do but you know there are things there's a list of things you shouldn't do and can't do uh to be called or to be be considered right in the eyes of your church your denomination what have you and so i think more often than not um that fear just sort of takes hold inside of us like well, if I've done this thing, I will not be considered right, either A, with the people that I'm associating with, or with God himself. Um, and the last thing a person in that culture wants is to be considered not right with God, right? Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, and, so, and so I think, now. don't get me wrong. I do think there is, you know, like for me personally, horror material that's very nihilistic. I, I, I don't love that stuff. But I can, as a mature person of faith, engage the material and sort of call it what it is. And so I think where I was, the thought I had as I was trying to answer your question, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I was going to suggest uh, what actually engaging the horror genre has the capacity to do. But that may be getting ahead of where you're wanting to go in the conversation.
0: Well, I'll say this: that um, that you know, we kind of uh, uh, want to try to. To to sort of wind down over the course of the next five or ten minutes here, and, and um and that's definitely something that I'd like to sort of land on. There, what you what you were just talking about made me think of something that I did intend to talk about there. Are the two sort of anchor verses, um, Bible verses that that when I was thinking about this particular podcast, what would what would sort of inform the kinds of things that we would think about. And the first one is Proverbs chapter nine verse ten. Uh, it's a very often quoted passage of scripture that says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding." Um, so that, of course, implies that yeah, the, the, it's it's often where we get the phrase "the fear of God" from. Uh, that the fear of the Lord is supposed to be the beginning of wisdom, implying that it is a good thing. But then, when you look in the New Testament, in First John chapter four, verse eighteen, it says, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear." Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, uh, in a moment I'm going to ask you what you think about these two scriptures, but for me personally, I see them more as in dialogue with one another than I do as contradicting one another. Because I do feel like there can be a sort of reverence and a sort of awe that can very much look like fear. Uh, uh, Something that says, you know, we don't disrespect God, we don't take God lightly if you will that that understanding forces beyond our control and even beyond our understanding might be the very beginning of coming to a, a wise understanding of the world around us and the things that we can control and the things that we can understand but but then when you look at the fact that the fear of God is not the stopping place it's the starting place and something that I <clears throat> had thought about when I was Thinking about wanting to put this podcast together is, uh, and it's probably a tagline that we're going to say every episode on the show that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation. That there are things to be explored beyond this notion of terror, beyond this notion of fear. And I actually think that by exploring things within art, within artistic expression, that you can come to learn how to better overcome the fears of real life and come to better learn how to overcome the things which terrify you in your day-to-day existence. One, one final thought before I throw it back to you is that I believe very firmly that there are really only two ways for the heart to experience and begin to become accustomed to dealing with fear. Uh, one, God forbid, is to actually experience scary things, to actually experience trauma, to actually experience loss, to actually experience pain. Those are the things that can, can teach your heart how to do it. But I think the other way, um, which I believe to be at least comparably effective, is to examine them through art. To see what artistic forms make you think about those things in your life. And I know some people would watch a scary movie and all they do is get filled with anxiety. All they do is get filled with terror. And so that's not pleasant for them. So they don't like doing that. Sure. And certainly it's not something that I would say I'm I'm a big proponent as much as I talk about scary movies with my friends and as much as people know that I'm a fan of it. I am always one of the first to say if it upsets your sensibilities and if it is something that you can't tolerate as a person, then don't don't put yourself through torment for things that are not going to be enriching. It's things that are not going to be helpful for you. But if you're somebody who is sort of drawn to the genre and you're trying to understand why, and you're trying to understand what value it can have, especially among a slew of conversations of people saying that you can't be a person of faith and enjoy the horror genre. I disagree with that, and I think there's actually a great amount of potential value that the horror genre could provide.
1: Well, you should start a podcast to talk about it.
0: <laughs> exactly. I should. <laughs> I should. I'll, yeah. I'll keep that uh, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, you know, I'll ask a two-part question before we sort of wrap up. what do you what do those scriptures make you think? And what value do you think that the horror genre could hold for somebody who is a person of faith that typically is supposed to think about things that are pure and good and right and true and all of that? What value does it hold? Sure. Um, You know, and your Fear of God,
1: Beginning of Wisdom reference there, you know, I'm no biblical scholar, um, or, or rather I would be sort of a lay person as far as that goes. And I wonder about what the actual word that we've interpreted or translated as fear there really is you know i mean yeah like our sort of understanding of fear meaning a thing of which to be afraid again this is this is just receive this as from nathan not from the lord but um i think it's possible that that verse specifically is not referring to you should be afraid of god but more more you you use these words awe and reverence you know that in a Job-esque way, like to, the only thing, <clears throat> excuse me, the only thing worth your awe and reverence in, in all of the fabric of creation is the creator, is the creator, you know, you know, so, so I think I think that's an interesting and a more helpful approach to that verse that that if if my viewpoint is the only thing really worth, quote unquote, fearing or the only thing I should hold in complete and absolute awe and reverence is God. Um, then that that's a position that I can work from, as opposed to you know this sort of as we talk about movies, this sort of Wizard of Oz sort of thing, this massive thing that you tremble before and so on and so forth. But so that's a thought there. I do think another, you know, I don't know uh, where I would reference specific verse wise, but I do feel like there's a common refrain in especially the New Testament of, of of not being afraid. I think I think I think what has been interesting to me as I've reflected on my engagement with the horror genre and you know, you you can sort of take that idea and expand it out, you know, whether it's roller coasters or or something something that causes so so there's this visceral level, right? There's there's a visceral sort of thrill. Kind of like the experience of sitting and watching a scary movie, you know, like disregarding the sort of metaphysical, possible spiritual conversation that we had there. There's just something fun, you know. And and so I think there's something to be acknowledged there. You know, do I love being scared to death? Of course not. Nobody loves that. But I do enjoy that experience of kind of jumping out of my seat at a scary moment in the movie. At the same time, on that spiritual level, and again, as you alluded to, uh, my my wife would fit this mold. You know, there there are people for whom they just can't engage that material because of the amount of anxiety it would cause. And, and you know, we are not suggesting <laughs> as actual therapy listeners go and and subject themselves to the witch or you know the exorcist or, or seven right. or whatever. You know, I mean there there are you need to know your own boundaries, but as a person of faith who can engage that material, I also think I think of the Chesterton quote of, you know, fairy tales or in this case horror,
0: finish it for me because I know you want Oh, to- oh yeah, no the uh, the Chesterton quote said that fairy tales um, are not valuable to us and this is a this is a paraphrase because I can't quote it verbatim, but uh, fairy tales don't tell us that dragons exist. They tell us that dragons can be beaten. Yeah, and and I, I wanted you to have the fun of saying the quote because I know you love it. And and I think for
1: me that's part of what we're talking about. For me personally, is there is something about being able to watch a scary movie or engage, you know, quote unquote, scary material um, that on a visceral level creates kind of a thrill and just kind of the fun element, but also defangs it. You know, robs it of the power. That we sometimes want to attach to it that really isn't there. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of that I mean exactly what you just said in terms of the the dragon analogy, it's it's like the zombie. You can fill in the blank with whatever, the zombie, the vampire, the monster, the the yonder, you know, whatever you want to call it. I would say a great story, you know, because because there's plenty of movies, there's plenty of books of varying degrees of quality. But the best are the ones that say not just that these things exist, but that you can triumph over. Them. Absolutely. And to me there's something really powerful about that and why as opposed to just something more traditional like a drama or whatever, you know, why I kind of keep coming back to this genre. Again, you know, you would definitely trump me in terms of volume and quantity of consumption, but you know, what keeps
0: scared Andy sitting on the <laughs> well, um, yeah, I definitely think that there is there is a quality to horror films that lend themselves more easily to that kind of catharsis and that kind of purging of emotions that drama and, uh, and especially comedy don't necessarily speak to. Um, one thing that I had said recently when, coming out of The Conjuring 2 is, as I told a friend, I said, while I sit in a movie like that, something subconscious is listening to something subliminal, so... Uh, so something in the in the recesses of my mind is listening to something that the, that the movie is saying on sort of a subtextual level and I think part of that is that we don't we don't have control of everything we're not in control of, of nearly as much in our lives as we would like to be and things get out of control in a horror film real fast and I think like what exactly what you're saying that once we are, are able to sort of see things, get out of control, watch the dragons emerge, watch the dragons claim victims, but then watch, at least in most cases, somebody overcome that dragon. Or if we uh, have examples, and there are plenty of horror movies like this too, where they don't overcome the dragon, uh, then that can also have something to teach us about our own lives and something to put things in perspective. I had said to someone else about uh, the danger in horror films that they're cyclical um, you almost never get rid of them. That's why we have so many sequels to so many horror films. It's like you can get rid of them for the moment, but they're going to come back. The uh, there is a I think a point to be made that we will have trouble in this world. That we will have things that uh, are going to never never quite be be fully gone, but um, but that we can defeat them and that we can remember as our faith teaches us that sure evil may claim many battles along the way, but that it will not win the war. And, in, and some would even say that it has already lost the war. Something that I hold very true. I said in the passing of Wes Craven, um, I said the reason that I so admire and love horror filmmakers is that they make you so scared of the dark that you want to turn on a light. Mm. And I think that that's part of what, um, I think that's part of what scary movies do for me. And I think part of what these kind of conversations can do for other people is, yeah, it's like when we when we're scared, it makes us want to turn on the light. It makes us want to think about how to overcome these things. And I think if we engage with it in, a, in an appropriate way, an appropriate—I mean, you know, like just actually engage with what it's saying and what it's dealing with—then um, I think we might come away with something pretty substantial and pretty whole. And I think I kind of want to leave the, the conversation there. I think we've had a really good chat about this sort of thing. Is there anything else uh, really burning in your mind that you want to that you want to add before we sign off? Um, no. All right. It actually, isn't. All right. If well, you, uh, put a put a nice little bow on it. Well, um, we we really want to hear from you, as I as I had said earlier, and as I will probably tag the show with um, many times, is that you know it, the the fear of God may be the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation. You can continue that conversation with us. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. We are also gonna please visit MoreThanOneLesson.com dot um, and not only see the Fear of God podcast posts, but also uh, the More Than One Lesson podcast, and uh, you can see a number of articles there. Um, so visit us there. You can like us on Facebook, as I said. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And I think you can find me on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. T-H-E, Perfect. Nathan Rouse. Um, and then you can also email us at uh, just fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word. We would really love to hear from you, and uh, I uh, thank you very much, Nathan, for being a part of this conversation with me. Yeah, looking forward to plenty more. Yeah, and so next week, um, if all goes according to plan, we will be talking about a film that uh, is, is not completely hated, but is also not completely loved. It's a film by a very divisive director by the name of M. Night Shyamalan, and he actually didn't direct the film, but he wrote it, and um, we're going to be looking at 2010's movie Devil. In terms, of, in terms of pure titles, you're starting with a bang, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, it, there was, there was <laughs> intention behind that. The Fear of God, Episode 2, Devil. Devil. So if you want to watch that movie and uh, and come back next week and we will be discussing that film. Thank you again Nathan for being here and uh, Thank you. and we will chat with you guys later. Okay, bye-bye.